0: sharp, pointed and insightful. This is Stacy on the right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The hoax is the idea that the Trump campaign was uh, was a beneficiary uh, of a concerted effort together with the Russians to affect the 2016 election. As to that, I don't think there's any evidence publicly. There are too many guns on the street. Too many people with criminal records on the street and there is a shortage of values about what is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what is condoned, and what is condemned. There's nothing we can do for our children that's better than allowing their parents to spend more time and be more involved in their lives. As long as we have pride in our beliefs, courage in our convictions, and faith in our God, then we will not fail. And as long as our country remains true, to its values, loyal to its citizens, and devoted to its creator, then our best days are yet to come. And now, Stacey Washington.
1: Oh, welcome back to the program. This hour, it's all show, and I have so much. I really want to talk about uh, Jeff Sessions and the ACA, or not the ACA, DACA, D-A-C-A, Um, And we're going to talk about Rahm Emanuel. We're going to talk about the people in Chicago over the weekend who were marching because they want to see Rahm Emanuel gone. I'm going to share some information about wealth and poverty and the truth about the situation, which is that crime is not necessarily, you know, it's not not every poor person who's committing a lot of crime, especially shootings and murder. We need to stop passing that off as the truth. But right now I want to go to the phones. We have a caller who held over from hour one. Thank you so much, Kenny, for holding on. What's your comment?
0: God bless you, Stacy. I'm so glad that you're on American Family Radio. Thank you. Stacy. there's a, certainly a lot of issues to be concerned about, that's for sure. But as a lover of America and as a lover of the church and a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, two of the issues that are really concerning me is, number one, People who say they love the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they'll sit and watch all of the junk and the filth on television, and I'm not talking about pornography. I'm talking about common stations that everybody get. It's a just constant junk and filth and lust, and how can you say you love the Lord Jesus and just constantly watch all of that trash coming over the television and then bad DVDs? And then second of all, Stacey, uh, the most grievous sin of all, it seems, is our little children being indoctrinated in the public schools, teachers telling little boys that they might be little girls. And I would like to know, I don't know if you know the the answer to this question, Stacey, but I hope you'll find out for us, how many schools are doing this? How many public schools are indoctrinating our little children? If If you don't know, Stacey, I hope that you will Find out and let us know. We'll be listening to you. And I tell you, if parents and grandparents and preachers and teachers and pastors don't stand up and do something about these transvestites indoctrinating our little children, I believe we're going to be, say I believe we're going to be looking at the severity of God on America. So just thank you very much and welcome to American Family Radio again.
1: Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for calling in your comment. And I, I do have a couple things to, to answer to that. So first off, of, of all, for the TV content, here's what happens. We get used to uh, you know, what we're exposed to the most. So if you are a Christian, you're going to church, you're reading your Bible. I'm not questioning anyone's Christianity. You can be a Christian and watch things on television that in five years or 10 years, you'll say, whoa, did I watch that? I can't watch that. What happens is the more we pray, the more we read God's word, the more he brings us in line with what he would like us to watch on television, what we should consume. And I found that at our house where me and my husband, especially when the kids were smaller and they'd already be in bed and we would watch certain shows that now I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't watch that anymore because I I noticed the more I read my Bible, the more I prayed and I would even ask God, and I I still do, i will say, oh I wonder if I'm supposed to be watching this. You know, sometimes it's not so much that you say, Father, am I supposed to watch this? Sometimes you just say to yourself or out loud, oh, should I be watching this? And then you know what? The Lord will let you know. Oh, he will definitely let you know. So I think people come along. It's, it's more like the television just keeps getting worse and worse. And at some point you have to put your foot down. And, and what we did as a family, and, and this is just sharing what we did, you could all, always do More or less, it's where you are, really, and where God has you. But what we've done is we just, we're cord cutters. We got so tired of paying for the the LGBT channel and channels that are really promoting godlessness. And it was included in the package. And I would call and try to get a custom package or get a package that just had the channels we wanted. And so we just cut it off. We have Amazon Prime. And obviously, anything that you purchase is going to have these other things that are objectionable available, but it's not the parts that we're paying for because with Amazon prime, um, you, you pay for the access to prime and then you can buy whatever seasons that you want. So we end up spending a lot less money on cable. We were spending, I think like 99 bucks or 119 bucks plus whatever our internet was. And now we just, if you want a season of something, sometimes it's $19 and we buy very few seasons and so it ends up being more quality, and we're also not exposed to the commercials. I recommend that you trust God to answer your prayers. and I'm not saying that you know like I've got that all under control, but I definitely have seen a and it's like an exponential increase in how much of my prayer God answers to the point where i I've literally over this just this past twelve months, there have been a number of occasions where I can point back and say. Oh, I was praying about that. I even wrote it in my prayer journal and God has given me the answer to the prayer. It's not always been yes. It's not always been what I what I prayed for, but he has given me an answer that I can clearly see comes from him and then I have to of course trust God that he's working all these things out for my good. As far as how many of the schools are doing the indoctrination. This is something that I'm pretty certain is going on all over. I was on a school board. I was elected to that position after an appointment to fill the remainder of someone else's term. And what most school boards do is they have a section uh, of the, the um, administration over the school district that is curriculum and instruction. And one of the board members serves as ex officio or something like that on that committee. And what liberals have found is that parents, like our good caller Kenny and so many others listening, when they find out there's going to be some kind of sexual content at school, they want to review it. When they review it and see that it doesn't line up with what they believe, they want to opt their kids out of it. So what school districts have done under the Department of Education, and this goes on whether the president is a conservative or a liberal because that's the, the activism that Democrats engage in, is they embed that in the curriculum. They put it inside of the curriculum so there's no day you can opt out of. It's in the book. So at some point, whether your kid's absent for two weeks or you're on vacation or whether you've opted out, at some point, your kid's going to have a test on that material. They're going to expect it to know it. And so they have it in the book so that they can, oh, you missed two weeks? Well, here's what you missed. And you're still going to get it. What we have to do is what Kenny talked about, and we've, we've had great callers today. You know, Thank God for the callers. Where It's really our responsibility. Who pays the teachers? You do. Your tax dollars pay the teachers. Who bought the buildings? Who builds the buildings? Who, who underwrites the bond issues that are issued that you have to repay? You do. Uh, Whose employees are those? They're yours. Sure, the superintendent reports to the Board of Education, but who elects the Board of Education members? You do. So you can't escape your responsibility in what's going on there. And for parents who your adult children have your grandkids in public school and your adult children are working and they're they're busy doing things, if you're already retired— this is an this is an an open harvest field for you to go into, have relationships with your grandkids, teachers, volunteer to be on that copy committee, volunteer to be the helper uh, for the for the tough times of the day where they're transitioning from this to that. You walk in the the you know the kindergartners walk with one finger on their lips, one finger on their hip. It's hip and lip. I, I remember all this stuff because I did all of it. I I worked in our kids' school so much that new parents always thought I was a teacher. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not a teacher here. I just volunteer. I did that because, first of all, that the teachers appreciate the help. Second of all, it gave me a relationship with them so that when these things would come up, instead of them seeing me as some crazy right winger, which at the time... Being of the permanent tan, nobody knew I was a Republican. Nobody knew I was a Christian conservative other than they knew we went to church and that I would say, oh, that's such a blessing or I'll pray for, you know, you do that type of stuff. But other than that, they didn't see me as someone who was a threat. It was more like she's always here volunteering and we can always trust her to come on the field trips with us. She brings in the cupcakes or, you know, she does the kindergarten social. And it was that way, that working with them that enabled me to say, are we sure we want to expose the kids to this? And, and the teachers would say right off the bat, well, this is what I received from curriculum and instruction. And then I would get a few other parents and we'd get on the phone and call over. And the interaction with the people at the office, the administrative office, is what ended up getting me the opportunity to work on the strategic plan that then enabled me to know board members who then chose me to serve that appointment. And then I really got to know what the school districts are. So I would say, unfortunately, to answer Kenny's question in a very long and roundabout way, the answer is all of them all of the public schools to a certain degree. I find the more rural schools kind of ditch that garbage and they just, they, it may be there, but they're not covering that because they know their parents are going to come in and raise Cain, And that's what is supposed to happen in a system where we are, we're supposed to render under Caesar that which just Caesars. And, and we're the, we're the ultimate responsible party. The citizen is the ultimate responsible party who's responsible for us spending $610 million a year on abortion in foreign countries. We are. Who's responsible for $558 million going to Planned Parenthood every year? We are. Why? Because we vote for the representatives who go there and authorize those transactions. Who's responsible for this curriculum being in our kids' schools? Everyone who pays taxes for those schools. It's our responsibility. So as much as I want to get mad at these people that we keep sending, the answer is anyone who goes there and keeps voting for these things can't get sent back. The answer is if your kids are in a public school or your grandkids that you're in that public school too, you're there, you're volunteering. You're not there standing over there with your arms folded, you know, raining down prognostications or leaving, you know, Bible verses that talk about, you know, fire and brimstone. You're there volunteering. You're creating those relationships. And when those school board meetings happen, one of the things I noticed about being on school board was that so few people attend our meetings, but the ones who did, oh, we would listen to them because they were the ones who had an email list and they would report back verbatim, word for word, whatever we said during the school board meeting to hundreds of people who would just read the email once, once to, or twice a month. We met twice a month. They'd read those emails. They're like, "Woo, wow. Yeah. So that's our responsibility. And we've been derelict as Christians. And this is not an indictment on us. It's just a call to action that we need to do more. And when we talk about, well, I'm already busy. I'm already. So find something that you can cut out. I remember my husband and I talking about when we were putting the kids in public school and it was our oldest daughter getting ready to go to kindergarten in the school district, a boutique school district. We paid, you know, overpaid for this little house to live in the district so she could go there and get this great education, all three kids. And I just was really concerned about the things I was reading about their committees. And my husband said, well, they'll be in school all day. You'll still have two at home at the time. i had one part-time preschool and one with me all the time. He said, you should swap off with another mom or maybe she could go to a play group once a week so you could volunteer. And I said, that's, that's, that's it. That, I need to be in that building. And when I went there, the teachers were so open to me being there. It's, I, I think we underestimate how much they want our help because they have so much to do. And they like knowledgeable parents will come in and help them. And while you're helping, you can help with these other issues as well. It's not, it's not a trick, it's no, there's nothing wrong with it. That is the reason why people volunteer because they wanna have an impact, have that impact in the school. And So am I saying you can't volunteer at the Rotary Club or at, at the Botanical Garden or something else that you really are passionate about? Of course you can. But which of those is gonna yield you the maximum number of results? If you have the time to do it all, do it all. But if you have to decide between that one that is your, you know, that's your your special soft place, that's your pleasure, the gardening, I get that. I love gardening. But would I rather have spent the years that I spent thousands of hours in our kids' school district gardening? I still got to garden. I just didn't, didn't get to be at the botanical garden or in their classroom. I don't regret a minute of that classroom time. And it's because I believe I had an impact there. And you can too. We need each other to do this work. We need, that's why stuff's going crazy because we're not doing that. When we get back, we're going to get to some audio. We'll take a few more calls if you'd like. Thanks for being here today. Stacy on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Go to truthforyouth.com and get your free Bible and bracelet.
0: When our health insurance renewal notice arrived last fall, my wife and I made the decision to drop our plan. With the monthly premiums and deductible, we'd have to pay $30,000 just to use it. So we did our homework and switched to MediShare. The cost savings are incredible, over $500 a month, and we don't have to pay for services we don't need or don't agree with. Then out of the blue, she had to have emergency surgery. Scary stuff. $150,000 in hospital bills. And MediShare members took care of everything. All we paid was our small portion. I'm a doctor who's been in healthcare for 20 years, and this is one of the most impressive programs I've ever seen. Thank God she's fully recovered. And now we're telling everyone about MediShare. Call 855 Psalm 23 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare, call 855 Psalm 23 That's 855 Psalm 23 Up next, Carol Swain with two minutes to think about it. From poverty to professor, from GED to PhD, a bold Christian speaking truth to power. Here's Carol with today's two minutes.
2: Hello, folks. Do you trust God to get you where you think you need to be in life? Or do you feel you have to make things happen for yourself? As a mover and shaker, I have spent a good portion of my years trying to get myself where I thought I needed to be. Along the way, I learned some truisms. The harder I strive towards a goal, the further it seems to slip away. When I relax and allow God to direct my path without any unnecessary interference from me, I see tremendous breakthroughs. God makes things happen that I could have never orchestrated. We know from Revelation 3, 7 through 8, that the doors he opens, no man can close, and the doors he closes, no man can open. I've learned to pray, prayerfully set my goals, and watch for what God is doing. The hardest thing I have to contend with is not trying to help him do what I think he ought to be doing in my life. Trust me, God doesn't need us out front navigating the ship. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy path. He also tells us not to be wise in our own eyes. In other words, we're really not as clever as we think we are. We thrive and we grow when we have a healthy trust and a reverent fear of the Lord.
0: To learn more about Carol and the Carol Swing Foundation, visit carolmswing.net. And make sure you follow her on Facebook at Professor Carol M. Swing and on Twitter at Carol M. Swing. You can download episodes of Stacey on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American
2: Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. This march together because in Chicago, there's too much bloodshed in the African-American community. Do you think Mayor Rahm Emanuel has failed Chicago?
0: Well, Rahm Emanuel, first of all, is a con man. His whole job is to keep black folks divided.
1: No, he doesn't care about anybody but the people in his neighborhood and his family.
2: City's in financial calamity. Uh, you know the uh, the organization in the city of Chicago is just
0: complete disarray. No matter which which angle you want to audit or look at, Chicago is a complete mess.
2: So you say that he cares more about the illegal immigrants that are in this city I, I the city than the African Americans? I said exactly that. He cares more about non-citizens. African Americans, we're citizens, and our ancestors built this country. He got some good things, but I think he don't step up and come to the people where the crime is. You know what I'm saying? The crime is on the south side and the west side. We have to make sure that President Trump recognizes that not everyone believes that um, Chicago is a a Trump-free zone. If he's serious about helping the people in Chicago, especially on the west side of Chicago, I accept his help. We can't turn any help away. We have to make sure that people understand that criminals cannot have their way with our streets. We have to protect our youth, we have to protect our seniors, and people have to have safe places to walk. And so, you know, one murder is too many. And so if Chicago Police Department and all the other law enforcement can't do it, we should seek other help.
1: Wow. I. Okay. Welcome back to the show. Stacey Washington host here. Stacy Stacey on the right. American Family Radio, Urban Family Talk. Wow. So this is this March that happened over the weekend and it's in Chicago. And you know, they have just an abysmal rate, like 200 killings, a thousand shootings. And that's just like to this point during the year. So it's less than last year, but still like rates that make Honduras look like a vacation spot. And that's because they have the, the huge city with, you know, three million plus odd people here in St. Louis, where we have a much tinier city, we're number one per capita with, I believe it's 62 per 100,000. So 62 murders per 100,000 people, which is, again, Honduras looks like a vacation spot. Now we're talking about murders that happened in the city of St. Louis. Same thing with Chicago in the, in the city of Chicago. So this isn't happening in the suburbs. And it is. Really, you drill down and it's hot spots, certain areas where this stuff is happening. And, and I have guilty of this as well. Sometimes we say, well, it has to do with poverty. And it does. Obviously, there's more crime in areas that are poverty stricken than areas that are affluent or middle class or even working class. But there's something that we do. What we do is we focus on the poverty. We focus on that instead of focusing on the behaviors that lead away from poverty. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got what happens. People are in poverty. Poverty also coincides with lots of crime. And then we kind of connect those together and we say, well, we need to make sure people aren't poor. So it, with that thought process, we need only dump a bunch of money on top of the people and everything will be fine. Right? Well, No. Because it's not that you simply need money there. It's behaviors and actions that have to occur. So Thomas Sowell is the expert on all of this. And, I mean, there are other experts, but he's one of my favorite experts. He's the, what I like to call the man for the United States when it comes to intellectual property. He is one of our, our, you know, he's one of our best. And what he has talked about is studies that he's done. He's, he's studied the studies and he's gathered his own information. And what he has found is that there's a basic misconception about poverty in America. And notice I said in America. And this is something we'll be over and over and over again, we'll be talking about in America. Because in other countries, and not all of them, but in in a bunch of countries, you kind of are born into your lot in life. And there's a very teensy little sliver of chance that you'll ever rise above it. You could definitely slide out of it, but for the most part, you're born into your strata. Here in America, you can be born with nothing, not even any parents, and graduate from high school valedictorian living out of your car, attend Harvard University, and go on to win a Nobel Prize or to create a product that makes you a millionaire. You can be adopted and adopted into a family that teaches you technology, such as the case with uh, Steve Jobs, and go on to create a product that... I mean, it, it lives on beyond him. The legacy is is amazing. And his children are now walking in that, his, his wife and children now that he's passed on. Or you can be born wealthy and fall into poverty and drug abuse and crime. And it's strictly based on your decisions and the actions that you take. And of course, opportunity and the ability to seize opportunity plays a role in it, but you can do anything here. You can move up, you can move down. And so he talks about this and I, I found this piece of audio so compelling. He's actually on um, this. It's like an academic program. They put all of their programming on YouTube. They film the interviews that they do with these fantastic authors. And the book that he's talking about is called uh, Basic Economics. It's a book that Thomas Sowell wrote decades ago, I believe. But it's so good that it's now used as a textbook in colleges across the country I've read the book. It's fantastic. If you you want to understand America, you should read Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. Anyway, this audio clip is him talking about this basic misconception.
0: Inequality within the United States, basic economics. Again, I'm quoting you, Tom. Although people in in the top income brackets and the bottom income brackets, the rich and the poor, as they are often called, may be discussed as if they were different classes of people, often they are in fact the same people at different stages of their lives, close quote. Yes. So, getting worked up about income inequality is pointless, ill-informed? Yes, Uh, and sometimes it's simply a propaganda trick, depending on who's doing it. I I read Piketty's uh, stuff, Piketty, uh, Thomas Piketty, the French economist, who yeah. published a book this year called Capitalism. Right, and right. He's, he's a star around the world for doing so. And he talks about how the top 10% are separate from the rest of us and they are able to do all sorts of nefarious things. And then I, since then I've gone and done a little research and it turns out that 56% of all American households will be in the top 10% at some point or other in their lives, usually when they're older. Wow. Over and over, so half, where, over half will be in the top. All right. Yes. Uh, 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 and, and, and actually, in the, when you get down to the top 1%, it's even more uh, incredible. Uh, of all the people in the top 1% uh, uh, in the course of a decade, uh, the majority, the great majority, are there one year.
1: So if that's the case, if we have this completely fluid society where the people who are in the top 10 percent of income in this country, that's not a static number of people who were there when they were born and they're there the day they die. When the people are moving in and out of the middle class and the upper middle class and back down to the middle class, they're moving to you know wealth and back down or they're moving ever growing higher. The, the bulk of the people are going from working class to middle class. And then a bunch of those people are going from middle class to upper class. And then a chunk of those people are going from upper class to wealth and moving in and out depending on what they're doing. Thomas Sowell goes on later in the clip to talk about how he had a place, he had a house uh, on Stanford, Stanford University, where he was a professor. When he retired, he sold the house. And for that year, because of the sale of that house, it appeared that he was in the very tippy tip of the 1% of, of wealthiest people in America. But the bulk of what he made on that home sale went into the next house that they bought because they live in California. And so there was very little uh, liquidity that was realized from that. Now, of course, whenever he sells that, if he decides to move to the Midwest, he would realize, you know, an increase in his liquid wealth and he'd be able to do something else with it. But the point he's making is that there is amazing opportunity here. And when we focus on, well, it's the poverty and we just need to do something about the poverty. We're not focusing on, well, what actions do people take when they want to move out of, say, the working class to the middle class or middle class to upper middle class? And what behaviors do we see consistently ex- exhibited by people who are upwardly mobile and continue to be so? Now, again, to go back to the studies, I love, I love the statistical data and analysis that goes on surrounding anthropology and looking at what human beings do, specifically Americans and What they found over and over and over again is that religious people, let's just be real because we're all adults here, religious people, and by religious, I mean those who practice their faith on a regular basis and are fervent about it. So people who go to church, it's not someone who you're a member of church and you go to church once every six weeks or once a month, and I'm not talking about in the summer and vacation or when people are sick. I mean, the majority of the year on Sundays, you're in church or Saturdays, if that's your thing, you're in church. People who practice their religion fervently, they pray to a God that they have a relationship with. They pray to our Heavenly Father and believe that he is God and that he answers prayer. They attend church. They give of their increase. All Those people who live like that have the best sex, the longest marriages, they're thinner, they're happier, and they earn more money. Now, You might say, well, those things don't, those are not correlative. Yeah, they actually are. Because if you look at the Bible, the Bible says if we seek God first, he adds all the rest to us. Because once we've given ourselves over to him and we're open to the sanctification that he wants to do, that relationship he can add things to us without it going haywire, without us, you know, going off the rails because, you know, we were able to finally get by, by our, our home or, or, you know, we were finally able to get a car or second car or, or, you know, get that education or what have you. When we're connected up, we don't we're not going to lose it when we're given things that we've prayed for, when he answers our prayers. That's something we just don't even we hear the prosperity gospel, believe it, see it, say it, claim it, all that garbage. But we don't hear people talking about, look, first thing we got to do, if, if you want to go up to that next level, we have to look in your life. Lord, what am I doing that I'm not supposed to be doing? What do I have going on that does not, that that's not a part of what you want me doing? There's, there's bound to be something, some sin that we're holding on to, something that we're battling with, some relationship that we, we won't cut, make right. And once we do that, then God's like, okay, now... Now we can work some more on the prayer. Now we can walk together through this situation. Now we can come into this next level where you're praying for something, but you're not praying for it so you can get a whole bunch of glory for yourself or you can do something for yourself. You're praying for it because you want to do something for God. And that's where that's where the rubber meets the road. And so I... I I know it's anecdotal when I say I know this, you know, this group of people or I know this many people who are older and they say the same thing, but it just supports what the studies say. I don't know any older Christians who don't say the same thing. They don't ask me how many hours I'm spending preparing for my show. I mean, sure, we might have conversations about it, but what they ask me is, how much how much prayer are you able to get into? Are, Are you in Bible study? Are you going you know, because that's that's a scheduling is my problem. It's it's the bane of my existence. Trying to make myself appear in all of the items on this on my calendar. You're in Bible study. You're going. Are you doing the homework? How how are you enjoying it? Are you having any you know friendships with anybody else in your Bible study? Are you praying with the kids? Do you pray with your husband? I mean, sometimes it's like, oh man, you know, you, you sit down with someone that is really like a, a mentor to you, someone who speaks that that truth into your life, and you leave there feeling like man, I'm kicking rocks. I'm doing anything that I'm supposed to be doing. But that's exactly where you're supposed to be. Some accountability. So, some, some, so you can grow. So when I hear Thomas Sowell talking about the, the misconceptions of poverty, it's, it's, isn't it fun? You know, that, that's what it basically amounts to. Useless fun. When we sit around and listen to people on CNN and MSNBC talk about, oh, there's income inequality. Well, of course there is. Because there's inequality in the amount of work people are doing. There's inequality in good decision making. It hurts to say, it hurts to hear. Have you ever been in that situation where you say, wow, I really wish I could do X. And someone who really loves you and tells you the truth instead of just tickling your ears says, well, if you really wanted to do that, you'd stop watching TV five nights a week and you'd start studying because that's not something you're going to get without reading these books and taking these tests and passing this and doing that. Oh, oh, sorry. You know, you either stop wishing for stuff out loud or put your wishes aside and start acting like you really want that thing. And some of it comes from, you know, you, you write it down and, you know, I, I talk about goal setting sometimes, but if you're goal setting without God, you're really just kind of, you know, you're spinning your wheels a little bit there. But if you pray over your your goals and things that you have, you I, I think I want to do this. What, what do I do? God works with that. And he will bless. I mean, if you're in his will, he'll bless that. But you have to take comfort in knowing that he gives us the desires of our heart. And so if you're in a situation where financially things are not working, well, then why not pray and say, you know what? I want to work more. I want to make more money. I want to do better here. I want to be able to support my family. I want to be able to, you know, make more. How do I do that, Lord? What do I, what I need to take a training class? I mean, there are financial shows right here on American Family Radio that you can listen to where they talk about what to do with your money, how to how to kind of manage that. There's resources out there. What really just it just annoys me to no end is how you see someone like Dr. Ben Carson who grew up in poverty in a home where there was no dad. It's just him and his brother and his mom couldn't read. And Ben Carson didn't know his mom couldn't read until he was almost done with high school because she was determined that those two boys were going to get a good education and go on to do well. And so she worked as a maid for a wealthy man who gave her tips on how to train up her sons. She put their math problems, their multiplication tables on A cassette tape so that they could listen to it at night before bed so they could memorize their their multiplication tables. A woman who couldn't read, but she knew what she wanted. She prayed over those boys and she made it happen. They made it happen because they listened. They were obedient. Come on now. All right, when we get back, we're going to be talking about uh, Rahm Emanuel. He's in trouble. Yeah, I'm smiling about it. I'm sorry. You know, (laughs) we'll be back with more after this. to live an uncommon life. Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment.
2: How often do we minister only to those who are like-minded? When I was coaching, sometimes I'd have a coach or a player who may not have had a perfect past, and people would ask me if I really wanted them on the staff or the roster, or even if I wanted to be associated with them at all. Jesus wants us actively ministering to people who need to be ministered to who need to know the source of that difference in our lives and who need Jesus' healing words and his grace. How else will we show the world that we're different and we can impact those who may need it?
1: Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. There's an unprecedented level of animus on display between the president of the United States and mainstream media personalities. Print journalism is rife with personal attacks on the president, his staffers, and his family. On our screens, we see and hear open contempt and hostility towards Trump from the same talking heads that adored him just a few short years ago. True to form, President Trump has optimized the hatred of his detractors and utilized it to motivate his political base. One of his favorite methods is to point out the media on their platform at his rallies, sometimes calling them the enemy of the people. In response, stompy-foot journalists are demanding Trump retract this insult. Obviously, as a member of the media who has observed this from the press stand, it was disconcerting. But is it really too much to ask that journalists impartially cover the news without personal attacks? Obviously so. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com.
0: Donald Trump's America.
1: China not backing down. In fact, Chinese state
0: media saying that they are ready for a protracted war over trade. President Trump has had a tremendous impact on this entire trade debate. And I think he's winning. This comes as the Chinese announced retaliation tariffs to the 25 percent tariffs the U.S. plans on $200 billion worth of goods from China. The Chinese targeting energy sectors for the first time, specifically liquefied natural gas exports and the president's base with mining products. Republican Congressman from Tennessee Chuck Fleischman says the president needs to stay this course. He's had an effect on the Chinese, on the Chinese markets. And President Trump wants to protect our intellectual property, and he wants us to win. That includes winning on a revised NAFTA. There may be movement on that front. This week, the Mexican delegation will be back in Washington to resolve the last three trade issues. Then the deal will be put to the Canadians. In Washington, Edward Lawrence, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio
2: and Urban Family Talk. Listen, uh, it's not about uh, having someone in particular in mind. We just need a person who's committed to justice, a person who's committed to fairness and equity for everybody. This particular mayor, he has disinvested on the south and west side of our city. He's closed 50 schools. That's unprecedented in the United States of America. That is unprecedented. And, and not only that, he closed mental health institutions. This is sad. He's taxing people through their nose. You got to pay fines for uh, uh, these high tickets for parking. You got the red light cameras. It's just ridiculous. We need a mayor who can come in and just have there be one Chicago. Right now, we have a tale of two cities, and that's why we had such a mess over the weekend. Well, public safety has to be back on him.
1: Okay, so that was a greater St. John Bible Church pastor, Reverend Ira Akree. He was on with Stuart Varney. And I just love the way he kind of broke down the situation. And so I keep hearing over and over again, people are, they're, they're open. They see now that the Democrats are just peddling the same old stuff or the new stuff they're peddling. They're peddling it to illegal immigrants. They're peddling it to the socialists. They're not peddling it to... The black community which is core constituency for the democrats now if you weren't reading wikileaks cables last year when they were being leaked or not last year a couple couple years ago during the campaign campaign season when they were being leaked then you missed it when you're reading donna brazil's emails and the others and they were saying well the blacks are the only ones that we can't help because they they just their community doesn't respond to um to our our policy initiatives It's not that the black community doesn't respond. It's that they're peddling stuff that doesn't work. The Democrats have been in charge of inner cities in America for decades now. And they've done nothing for blacks. And one of the things that is a huge misnomer is, well, we just need more black elected officials. If the black elected officials are only going to do democratic policies, it doesn't matter whether they're sporting a permanent tan or not. What matters is, you're not getting anything out of it. So you've got him talking about, um, that it's the poverty, and he, he blames Rahm Emanuel. I blame Rahm Emanuel because he's not able to just listen to the police chief there who is asking, the police chief in Chicago is asking, look, I got I to have more police. I got to have more ability to get out here and get these criminals off the street. I'm, you know. And Rahm Emanuel's tying his hands. You know why? Because some of those criminals are illegal aliens because Chicago is a sanctuary city. And Rahm Emanuel can't have the illegal aliens getting arrested. No, that ain't going to work. Those people need to be available to vote in November, whether they're criminals or not, whether they're citizens or not. Because remember, Chicago is one of those jurisdictions that's offering driver's licenses to anyone who's there and can pass the driver's test, whether you pass it in Espanol or not. And once you've passed it, you also get the right to vote. Yes, that's what's going on. So no wonder black people are mad and they're talking about, look, whoever's going to bring some change that's positive, some some arresting the bad guys, getting rid of all, that's who we're going to listen to, which means opening wide open for Republicans, conservatives, Donald Trump to come in there and do something amazing, hopefully, that can start that because it doesn't change overnight, but it can change. And these people... Once you're willing, once you realize I've been doing this, I've been voting for these Democrats for I don't know how long, and now I'm ready to change. Woo, there's some synergy in that. There is an amazing amount of action that is released when you decide I'm turning away from this garbage. I'm going in another direction. Whoop, something awesome is about to happen. I just hope those people who were marching and saying those amazing things to the cameras and to the interviewers are willing to do that same thing when it comes time to vote. Now, I want to pivot over to uh, CNN's legal analyst dashing the panel's collusion narrative. And then we're going to talk about Jeff Sessions and this court ruling about DACA, which is just garbage. It's total garbage. But let's listen to number three.
0: I think there's actually a fairly good argument that it's not illegal, that information would not be considered by the courts to be a thing of value, largely because of the First Amendment. Once you start saying that, uh, that us talking to each other constitutes a thing of value, it winds up being a slippery slope. And then the other thing the president points out, actually fairly, is that if information is a thing of value, well then what about the information that came from Russian nationals, to the Clinton campaign and the DNC through Steele. And, that, and that's a fair point uh, also. Oh,
1: really? uh, you know, dealing in information, just finding out if someone who you're running against has some dirt in their past that can be used, that's called opposition research. It doesn't turn into collusion until you say uh, let's do a crime with that information. So even the CNN analysts saw through that. Now let's talk about this, this DACA ruling. So And I want to give a programming note. Um, People are asking, what book was it? And I can't wait to share this one with you guys, but not, not right now. Not right now. People are asking about this book, Growing in Prayer. It's called Growing in Prayer. It's by Pastor Mike Bickle. He's the pastor of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. He's been to our church many, many times and preached right from the pulpit. And once he came and he talked about this book, and then our pastor did a six week study in the fall on the first part of the book. And then we did the remainder of the book um, in six weeks in the spring. And we did it as a family. And I also did it in Bible study at church. So it was just like, Oh, there's some like little gnat in here. That's just like driving me crazy. And I, I honestly, guys, I thought I knew so much about praying. And then I read this book. So it's not a replacement for the Bible, but it is a book that if you, You know, there's always those little memes that people post, you know, the devil shakes in his boots when my feet hit the floor because he knows I'm going to be praying in a minute, you know, that type of stuff. You want to see some amazing movement in your prayer life, then you got to get this book. And I get nothing from talking about this book. I I haven't even met Mr. Bickle. He's preached at our church. I don't know how many times, but I've never stayed after and met him or anything. We just bought the book and we just did the study and it has blessed me so much. Much and that's why I talk about it because I don't need to get anything from it. I've already gotten something amazing from this book, uh, and and I encourage you. And so it looks kind of like it looks a little bit on the thick side, but I I'm telling you it's so easy to read. And it's one of those ones where you're gonna read a chapter and then you're gonna be like, mm, you're gonna think about that some, and you'll be praying and trying to. You'll be like, let me let me do that, let me do that, and then you have to go back to it and. That's why mine looks like this. And we have more than one copy at our house. So, um, yeah, you, you're going to want that if, if you're interested in that. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble's, All the major booksellers have it. You could probably even pick it up at Walmart. I'm not, I'm not sure. I've never seen it there, but it's, it's everywhere. Um, so Sessions is standing strong in his defense of terminating DACA. So, first of all, let's get facts out. The president didn't terminate DACA. DACA had an expiration date of March of 2018 without reauthorization or reinstitution by a new executive order extending it. It expired. The reason it had an expiration date is because president Obama thought he would be able to get some form of immigration reform done before his eight years were up. He wasn't able to do it. That is why DACA expired. What this judge is saying is that, And he's a U.S. District Court judge. Like, how does a U.S. District Court usurp the executive branch of the United States government and the president of the United States, who is the commander in chief of the U.S. military and the head of our country? Anyway, this U.S. District Court judge says he is fully reinstating DACA. Now, Sessions blasted the decision. He issued a statement saying that Obama... Actually violated its duty to enforce our immigration laws by directing and implementing a categorical, multi-pronged non-enforcement immigration policy for a massive group of illegal aliens. "End quote." Sessions further stated that the executive branch is well within its right to rescind a policy that was established by an Obama-era executive order, and that it has a commitment to do so. Now, here's the quote from Sessions from his, his statement. We have re- recently witnessed a number of decisions in which courts have improperly used judicial power to steer enjoin, modify, and direct executive policy. This ignores the wisdom of our founders and transfers policymaking questions from the constitutionally empowered and politically accountable branches to the judicial branch. It also improperly undermines this in administration's ability to protect our nation's its borders, our nation its borders and its citizens, so Sessions is asserting that the White House will aggressively defend its judgment to dissolve the DACA program, which prevented enrolled illegal aliens from deportation if they were brought into the United States as minors. And here's what's also super important about the statements that he made. <clears throat> so it's not been widely reported in the media, but. In one of the decisions about immigration that recently was issued from the Supreme Court of the United States, Justice Clarence Thomas, in his opinion, he wrote uh, you know, an additional section of an opinion himself, which is a part of the record, where he talked about the possibility that the Supreme Court of the United States would ha- basically be forced to rule on an immigration issue To smack down the lower courts because they saw an excessive amount of rulings coming out of lower courts meant to usurp the power of the executive branch. And that those courts are really only meant to rule on whether or not there is precedent to permit something or if it has to be struck down. So the constitutionality of things, they're not supposed to be creating new law or being politically motivated in their opinions that they write. And that the Supreme Court would have to smack down one of these rulings in order to reset the table so that everyone would be operating within their their purview. And remember, you've got the judicial. These are not elected officials. They're not accountable to the American people. You have elected in the legislative. They're all elected and they all represent us by apportionment. And they are there through the consent of the governed constitutionally. And then you have the executive, cannot create law but can order and direct and create policy around existing law and its implementation. We don't have people who understand this right now. Like the millennials are the first generation who've grown up with social studies instead of civics. Civics taught us about the Constitution and how things worked. Social studies teaches social justice. That's why we have people who don't understand what's supposed to happen. And so that language that you hear, when you hear Jeff Sessions talking about, I'll read you this little half of the quote again. We have recently witnessed a number of decisions in which courts have improperly used judicial power to steer, enjoin, modify, and direct executive policy. Court judges, appellate court judges cannot direct the executive branch of the United States in what they can and cannot do. They can simply find actions that are the subject of a lawsuit, constitutional or unconstitutional. So it's an interesting, very interesting um, uh, statement that he issued there. And, and I think that's fantastic. Um, okay. So we have time for maybe one quick call. If you'd like to call in, 866 963 2037. I'm going to close out the show with some information on, if you're just tuning in, welcome in, it's Stacey Washington. Uh, really glad to be with you today. Um, it's Truth for Youth Week. And I just, I got to say, when I opened up my mailbox and I saw this from Mr. Riley over at AFR and I was like, oh my goodness, it's my copy. And I knew we were doing Truth for Youth Week and I've gotten a couple emails, but I wasn't expecting to like the book as much as I did. And I wasn't expecting for it to have manga in it or for our you know for the kids to be like yeah that's actually pretty cool mom you know how hard it is to get a teenager to say something's cool and so then on top of that when we spoke to Tim Todd yesterday on the show i mean i didn't think he'd be bad but he was actually outstanding really passionate about this and the fact is you get the free copy you get one copy of the book for free along with this bracelet that's yours all you have to do is call the number 800-733-4737 or go to truthforyouth.com this is yours. You don't even have to do anything but just call, give your information, boom, bam it's yours in the mail. But if you have a youth group, VBS, Bible study group, or you're, you just want to have some on hand for when your teenagers have their gaming night check my Instagram for what that looks like over here. When all of the kids bring over television screens, which are their monitors desktop computers, Xboxes and they drink Sprite and root beer all, like, it's just crazy. All the boys come over and they spend the night and they do this. And so if you have any boys in amongst the group of your kids who do that or any of the girls for the sleepover, they're coming over for a pool party or whatever, they don't have uh, any experience with Christianity, you can just say, oh, wow, I, you know, I made you guys all gift baggies, which don't we all love doing that for when our kids' friends come over, you want to send them home with something. And the gift baggie can have this and this in it. And it's a manga comic, which is fascinating. And it's really good stuff in here. Like these are not poorly done. You know how sometimes when there's a message in it, you read it and you're like, man, this is kind of like, this is not like that. These are great. So you can have this um, and you can give them as gifts. You can have a couple at home, four or five at home. And if your kid wants to take one to school and pass out, remember that's their right to do as a citizen of this country, as long as it's not during curriculum time. Come on. There's no losing with this. So truthforyouth.com or 800-733-4737. And that's only, that live line is live for another half an hour. It's 8 to 4.30 every day. Central time. Okay. That's the show. Yesterday, did you guys catch me say we'll be right back after this and it was the end of the show? When I heard the music. I was like, oh, wait. The show's over. <laughs> so it's totally over. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Find me online at staceyontheright.com or on Instagram and Twitter. Same, same old stuff. And God bless you. Have a great night.